This is CounselCast, part of the Legal Talk Network, and I'm your host, Karen Conroy. When you face a complex case outside your expertise, you bring in a co-counsel for next-level results. When you want to engage, expand, and elevate your firm, you bring in a marketing co-counsel. In this podcast, I bring in marketing experts who each answer one big question to help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. Hi everyone, my name is Amit and I'm the owner and founder of Hopskip Media. We're an online marketing agency that specializes in pay-per-click advertising. So Google ads, Facebook, Instagram, that kind of stuff. Awesome. This is exciting because as we were saying a minute ago, I feel like there's a lot of confusion around what all of this means. And um, so we're going to clarify that. But also I want to point out that we're having this conversation in terms of pay-per-click and all of this with a woman, which is always just way more exciting for me. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have you here. And thank you for your time and, and talking to us about all of this. And so thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so the topic we're going to cover today, the big question that we're going to answer is how do you make pay per click work for your firm? So I mean, let's let's start by talking about what it's not like, what's the difference between pay per click and SEO? The best way I like to explain it is that SEO is a long game, PPC is more short. That doesn't mean that like PPC is like something that you're going to do for a month and that's the end of it. But the tactics are, are kind of very different where SEO might not pay off in the first little bit, but it definitely will throughout the years or the months or the weeks or whatever you want to to, I guess, say, uh, where PPC... Whatever the plan is. Yeah, whatever the plan <laughs> yeah. is. But with PPC, the moment you turn off your ads, that's the end of it. Like, there is nothing, there's no residual benefit to it, I guess is the best way to say it. So th- that's kind of the way that I always explain it. It's short-term versus long-term. I kind of talk about it in terms of, like, a well-balanced meal. <laughs> so pay-per-click is sort of like that sugar rush. So you don't start with dessert and, like, only eat sugar. Like, you're going to get a rush and, and whatever, but it's short-term and it's, you're going to get giant spikes if you, especially if you are adjusting and tweaking and whatever. Whereas like the healthy vegetables that, you know, nobody, nobody really enjoys organic SEO quite as much as pay-per-click, my clients anyway, but that, you know, it's an important part of, of the process, but it's totally different. And that's not what we're talking about today. So I'm not going to spend too much time talking about that. And they, I think the thing that a lot of people get incorrect is that they always go SEO or PPC and like really in reality both of them are kind of best friends like they actually work very very well together so oftentimes when agencies are like oh we're working with an SEO agency or not agencies a client say that we're working with an SEO agency I'm like yeah give me their contact information I want to talk to them all day every day like they have so much information that I could benefit from but then I also have information that they could benefit from yes and I feel like this broadly is a really critical point to make about marketing in general. You should not be having all of your different marketing efforts in silos because they all need to be speaking to each other. They all need to be working together. And the more you bring it all together and they're all, you know, your PPC people are talking to SEO who are talking to your content people who are talking to your social media people, then it just gets so much better because it all should be working together. Yeah, exactly. And really, at this point, if we're really looking at where everything's going, like content is always going to be king. I know that might be a little weird for a PPC person to say, but like, it's the same. Like, it's kind of really funny just during like the pandemic, a client had called and she's like, what do you do? And I'm like, email. 
And she was just like, but that's not what you do. And I'm like, I'm not going to give you bad advice for the sake of money, really, at this point. Like, and I think that's the reason why she stayed for as long as she did and eventually had to part ways just because she was looking for full service. And that wasn't something that we could provide her. But like that decision for her made sense because I was like, OK, like it's not a performance thing. It's literally because you kind of have to. But like it's that same thing where content really is king and it's going to continue churning out things for you but you really need to make sure that everything is talking the same language because really once the messaging is off nobody's gonna care they're not gonna understand what you're talking about they're not gonna understand what you're asking of them you yourself don't look like you know what you're talking about so yeah I know we're supposed to be talking about PPC but like really having everything like together makes sense yeah no and I think it's super important to make sure that that's the kind of foundation that you're starting <laughs> It's like, where do you start? First of all, what are we even talking about? What is the difference between SEO and pay-per-click? What are we talking about? How do these pieces work together? And then I wanted to do one more point of clarification before we start to dig into the kind of details a little more deeply. So let's talk, what is the difference between local service ads and pay-per-click? Uh, so really at this point, there there is a difference and then there also kind of isn't a difference really at this point they're both advertising so if we want to simplify it there is no difference but if we want to look at it a little bit further with local service ads they're kind of a new branch of of advertising in that google will basically create a listing for you and it's still an advertising platform you're still paying for it so it's not free but it'll put in significantly more information it'll tell you what services you provide which isn't something that's usually super detailed in ads it'll give them a little bit of a bio as well pricing your google ratings as well will be combined into all of that which i think is really really nifty and they're not being utilized by a lot of businesses right now so it's a really great way to stand out which is like the one thing that a lot of people have been talking about lately where it's just like well how do i stand out and i'm like do the simple stuff like the randomly simple things right so like even when i'm talking to digital marketers they're like how do i stand out i'm like well we're transitioning from universal analytics to google analytics 4 so I might get on the Google Analytics 4 bandwagon sooner than everybody else and you'll, you'll be steps ahead. Exactly. So it's kind of the same, same logic. Yeah, and same for lawyers. So few of them are jumping on getting Google verified and using the Google, the local service ads. And so the, in certain markets, like the pool is wide open. And so you can really jump in and kind of command that, that whole market. It's a great place to be. And the other thing I like to point out about local service ads is that there's a refund process. So if you get a lead that is not correct, like if you are a DUI lawyer and you get a lead for a divorce or something like that, you can go back and say, no, this wasn't a good lead and get your money back. And so most of my clients don't end up doing that because they end up having really great leads and everything. But it's nice to know that, you know, whereas like with regular Google ads, like, it is what it is. Like you're paying for what you, whatever. <laughs> that doesn't happen with regular ads. I don't care. <laughs> no, no. Like your money is your money. And if your competition just sits there all day long and clicks on your ads, that sucks for you. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Like they do still have like the invalid clicks type of protocol, but it's really not as effective as we would want it to be. So it's always kind of really interesting. And I think people, the reason why a lot of people have been shying away from local service ads is one, that they don't know about them. But two, there is a verification process. You have to submit documentation of like owning the business. And I think insurance or something like that. I can't quite remember all of them. So then that tends to deter business owners because they're like, now I have to go find all this documentation. It's going to take forever. Really in reality, it might take you, what, five, 10 minutes. And like, if that means that you're going to make a significant amount of money off of it, I. I think it's worth it. 
Yeah, exactly. Five minutes of your time to just dig up some paperwork that let's let's be honest, you should have it on file somewhere like, you know, reson- reasonably close close by that you can access. So, um, OK, so local service ads, good deal. It's oftentimes a really good deal depending on your market and how much availability, but it's different and it's kind of got that you know, verification process and a different kind of ad. Okay, so I know I saw in your on your website and in your description that you uh, mentioned that you like to, t- you've taken a lot of accounts from zero to hero. And I love that because I feel like that's a memorable little phrase that where a, f- a lot of your clients have started with nothing and no kind of, it, I'm assuming that that's what this means. Like they haven't, they didn't have any ads or any, you know, whatever zero means for them. (laughs) And so how does that process work? And what are some of the tips and tricks and all of that stuff that you can suggest? Yeah, so for us, it's uh, like kind of just looking at the landscape really at this point. What are your competitors doing? How many are there? How competitive is it? And then making budget recommendations based off of that really at this point. Some clients come in and they already know how much they want to spend or how much they can spend. So then it's a matter of figuring out how to fit everything within that to the best of our abilities. So it's really, it's kind of really interesting because I we tend to ask for like about 90 days of like a guaranteed type of situation in our agreements just because we need that time frame just to look at what's even happening. But then also to figure out if like our first assumption was correct or not. Really at this point, it's not like a 100%, like we're not right 100% of the time and oftentimes we we have to take that time to figure it out just like any kind of marketing or even like going to law school like you don't know yeah <laughs> I don't know tw- I don't know anything about law but like you like the differences between like what a tort is and a lawsuit I don't know if they're the same thing or not but like there's like it could be right so you might not figure that out you're gonna try to like you're gonna it's gonna be a trial and error really at this point just like figuring out what a a good closing argument would look like so on my end it's the same thing we're just trying to figure out what people are searching for we run our own assumptions first and we verify that within google but like at some the same time seasonality is a mix competition is in the mix so we don't know exactly how anything's going to perform until we actually go do it so the first month is literally just kind of setting up the account making sure that everything's firing correctly and then just like watching it which is the hardest thing for me to do because i'm like i just want to make tweaks right away but then if you make them you don't know what was like the cause and effect really so then a month two is when i start doing more overall and then looking at everything so by month three we're hoping that we're in a place where we actually want to be and it's just us continually just growing from there nice okay so i can't even count the number of times that i've talked about patience being a critical part of your marketing strategy and i think people think i'm joking but i'm i'm absolutely not i don't think that there is a single part of marketing and a single guest that I've had on that we haven't talked about patience. So you were kind of alluding to that a minute ago where like if you go in and you start to tweak and you don't know what you're tweaking, it's like messing with the recipe. Like you just start throwing in more salt and then you maybe it needs more baking powder. I don't know. It's not rising. And you just start messing with everything and you've changed like four or five of the variables then you don't know how to so so can you talk about like have you ever had clients i'm sure you have that are super impatient and they you know what do you what do you do how do you work them through that that idea of patience i think it's just an education thing really at this point a lot of them may be very well versed in online marketing that ppc is kind of like the ugly stepchild really in that sense where like 
nobody really wants to touch it. And that's perfect for me. It's great for business really at this point. I'm like, I will take it all day. I love it. So it's more of an education thing where we really focus on educating the client. So we'll do calls and stuff like that where we just sit there and go over the monthly report and we'll be like, this is what this means. This is what that means. The reason we need time is for X, Y, Z. And that tends to calm them down. It's really when clients aren't booking the phone calls to get that education is really when things kind of start to fall apart a little bit. So you'll get calls and be like, I didn't get any calls today. And I'm like, like, were you supposed to? Like, I just, I kind of just sit there and I'm like, I don't know. What does that mean? I'm like, are you just mean like just in general or like through PPC? And I think a lot of times, especially if your business is going to be reliant on Google ads, I think you probably, um, as harsh as it might sound, is probably need to focus a bit more on the business a little bit more before you actually delve into ads. Because when you really go, I have to spend money to make it, I just don't think that's a, a, a good recipe. Like, I feel like it's kind of a recipe for disaster just because we don't know how like these advertising platforms are going to change. We saw that with iOS 14 on the Facebook side of things, um, where it basically just kind of really messed up a lot of things and yes admittedly the effects of it haven't been as significant as everybody was making them out to be but they're still pretty significant we're seeing cpcs uh, go higher so click through or not click through cost per clicks which is increasing our cpa so our cost per acquisition so now people are paying more to get these same people in and yes we've been able to kind of gradually go back to where we were pre ios 14 to a certain degree but for about a a year and a half two years we were kind of screwed and just trying to figure out how to figure this out oh my gosh so we don't know like long time it was a while it took us a long time and a lot of clients were like things aren't happening the same like one was event like she was a child psychologist and would put on like events and she started noticing that like sales were just nosediving and she's just like obviously i have to focus on like content now and I remember sitting there going, yeah, we were talking about this at one point. Like, why did you not do it before? And now it's kind of funny that I get the emails now where it's just like, we're doing this conference. And I'm like, I've been on your newsletter for like four years. This is the first time I'm receiving emails, really. So I think that's kind of really the, the biggest issue. Okay, so you were mentioning how you have these regular calls with your clients and you go through the reports. Let's talk about, first of all, what are what should we be paying attention to in those reports and then the next question is what do we look at to try to predict these kind of declines so you know like you're describing that you were talking to her about you know adding in a newsletter because you were noticing changes in you know the the algorithm and ios 14 and whatever what other things should we be looking at where it's like okay these things are changing or these numbers are changing. So we should be trying to like balance out with a different method or, or whatever, you know, what kinds of things sh- should we, we be noticing to plan for the future, I, I guess is what my question is. I think the biggest change would be impressions really on the Google end of things. So impressions is, are essentially Google's way of saying this many people searched for your ad or searched for something that triggered your ads. So if I start seeing, like if I see a decline every so often, I'm not, like it really doesn't phase me. But when I start noticing that it's happening month over month, that's when I'm like kind of a little going, is there something wrong? So then at that point, it's either like us expanding the keyword list and seeing if that helps with all of it. And then sometimes it's a matter of just adding in something else and maybe even adding a Facebook element to see if we can drive people to go to Google to start searching for stuff as well. Because the way that I've always described the relationship between Facebook ads and Google ads is that Facebook kind of opens the door and then Google is the one who closes that sale for you. 
uh, because people are higher tent, right? Yes. Okay. So I was gonna I was gonna ask more about how the all the different ads work in relation to each other later. So let's go into that kind of, um, so when you put together a campaign, you're doing a combination typically of Facebook or or social media ads combined with Google ads, is that right? Here and there, our core competency is in Google ads, but then we also have like Facebook in there as well. And a lot of people tend to ask about it, which is why I kind of bring it into the conversation where I'm like, there's place for it. It's not my favorite platform, but there's place for it. Okay, so what is that place? (laughs) Because obviously the audience is all lawyers and lawyers and law firms have kind of a challenging relationship with Facebook. You know, it's really where where my clients have seen more interaction and, and, and action, I suppose, social media wise, a little bit on Instagram, but heavily on LinkedIn, obviously, and a little bit on Twitter. But Facebook is is a hard, you know, Facebook and Instagram, it's kind of a, a challenge. That's not where people aren't necessarily looking for lawyers. Yeah. And I think that's why if I guess like a law firm were to use Facebook ads, I think it would make more sense to have a brand play really at that point. So more or less of just like making sure that people are aware that you even exist really. Because I think that's where a lot of people kind of lack is that brand awareness side of things and very much knowing that it is a brand play. You can get leads off of Instagram, Facebook. It's just a matter of finding that right mix. So taking a look at your analytics and seeing what the interests are of the people that have already submitted a lead is a really great way because then I can sit there and be like, okay, well, they're really into green living and they're avid shoppers, but they also love political, um, like reading about politics or something. And then I can kind of put a a whole profile together and be like, okay, now let's try to put this together in Facebook and see if we can actually find those people that fit like this kind of lifestyle. And that can work really, really well as well. But it really kind of boils down to one, the creative kind of, because really video content is really great. So you kind of need that client to do that for you, especially putting themselves in front of the camera, talking about what they, being super personable and stuff like that. But then also budgetary restrictions as well. Do you have enough money to actually put towards doing a, like a lead generation type of campaign, which is going to cost you significantly more than what brand awareness would be doing for you. Yeah, well, that's fascinating because I think a balanced approach like that, especially for certain practice areas, you know, pay-per-click for personal injury, for example, is so ridiculously expensive and especially in certain geographic areas so I've had a lot of clients who where it's just prohibitive and they don't really want to go up against these massive firms who are spending tens of thousands of dollars a month so they're trying to find a different way and they're willing to spend some but it seems like a more well-balanced approach like what you're describing where you have a, a kind of a brand play with Facebook and that kind of different approach with that piece of it and then combine it with some Google ads in a different overall approach is it you know that might be more it might be less expensive I don't know you know obviously in each area and each you know level of competition it's going to be different but it might be a different approach either way (laughs) than what some of the other firms are doing. Uh, One thing that we've tried that's been kind of like hit or miss is like kind of really getting really unique with the headlines on the Facebook side of things and then bidding on that on Google. So if somebody sits there and actually just holds on to that in your like in their head, which is probably naturally going to happen, they go into Google and search that specific thing. Your your competition likely isn't bidding on that quite yet if they haven't noticed it. So then that's a really great way to kind of 
keep the cost low. It is hit or miss. So really at this point, it's just like, it's not a guaranteed type of like, this works every single time, but it's still something that has worked for, for a, a few clients in the past. Awesome. Okay, so then the next thing I was going to ask you about is how do you figure out budgets? You said earlier that some of your clients come in and they already have like, you know, a cap of where what they can spend. But what about those clients who are like, you know, I've got a decent healthy amount to spend, whatever that means. But how do how do you figure that out? How do you figure out what they should spend? Uh, we kind of look at what the information is from Google really at this point. What are your costs per click? look like and then we'll take that and cross-reference it to benchmark reports and be like okay well this industry typically does like let's say a two percent ctr so click-through rate and the average cost per acquisition is let's say a hundred dollars and then we'll kind of move backwards and try to figure out numbers and then kind of present them that way too where we're just if you spend a thousand dollars this is what you're going to get if you spend three thousand dollars this is what you're going to get if you spend ten thousand dollars this is what you're going to get but then also looking at the competition if we were able to get that information just to see how much they're spending and then sit there and be like, okay, well, this guy is spending 15K, this one's spending 10. Do you want to compete or do you want to kind of go under the radar a little bit? And then that kind of gives them a better idea of what's going on or what they should be putting up for that, that investment. Yeah, what other, I don't think a lot of people realize that you can see what other people are spending, that that's, you know, for the most part, public information. And so that alone, I think is is kind of fascinating to, to hear like, oh, okay, I can go out or, you know, you as my PPC person who's doing this and knows how to do that can go out and, and at least see, okay, where is the basic market uh, budget and is that way over my head or not? You know, does that work? You know, uh, so that at least gives you some starting ground and some some place to kind of see what's happening out there. Yeah, and then at the very least, you have an idea of where you want to grow to as well. So then at least if it's, hey, we can only start with 5K or something like that, then and the goal is to hit 10, 15, then at least you work with your agency and be like, okay, well, I need X amount of leads every single month to be able to go to the next phase of 7,500 and the next phase of 10 and so on and so forth. Yes, awesome. Okay, so before we go to the book, the last thing I wanted to ask about was how you work in terms of, like, what if you have a client who has a really not great website and how do you work with you know like do you work with their agency or how do you have that conversation where it's like listen I'm going to be pulling a bunch of ads getting all this traffic and your website is going to kill it like what do you what do you do in those cases or do you have you have you had those cases (laughs) I feel like that's the case with a lot of clients really at this point I think if some of our clients improve their websites I think their conversions would significantly increase but they just like don't they're happy with where they are do you have those conversations we try to and sometimes they'll listen and sometimes they just won't and that's just who they are really at this point and I've I've learned to just accept it for what it is because before what like when I was younger I would get pissed like I was just annoyed because I'm like you're setting me up for failure and to a certain degree they are but I think if you're able to figure out as long as there's no massive hindrance in terms of somebody actually being able to submit a form I think as long as you've got those keywords nailed down you should be able to be like get that person to come in so I look at like different pages try to figure out which one's the best one and then create ad groups around that and try to just like really really drive traffic to like the one good page that we might have Um, and then it's just like a matter of just proof of concept right so sometimes they won't like 
they'll just sit there and be like, forget it. I just want this website. And then eventually they're like, oh, this is doing really well. And I'll be like, yeah, now imagine if the website was good. So in a perfect world, what is the thing or things that you would typically like that you have challenges with on most websites where like if you could tell them to fix X, Y, Z or Z, I guess, in your Canadian (laughs) version, (laughs) what does it usually come down to? Uh, Site load times is a big one. We want it three seconds or under. That is a massive thing. Like even three seconds feels like a lifetime now. Like it's just it's super long. It's really it really is around that long. No, and like a lot of people will drop off if it's longer than three seconds. And I think the stats like 72% of people or something like that. So significant enough that you want to make sure that your sites are are loading at a a decent speed. And that's usually a pretty easy thing to fix, especially if you have, you know, an agency or a developer who you've been working with like that. That is not like reinventing your brand. That is some technical stuff that you should be able to fix pretty quickly. I mean, come on, people. Get your, get your site speed and sped up. And especially if you're working with a developer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if you're already working with a developer and your site isn't three seconds or under, like it might be time to find a new developer really at this point. Yes, 100%. Yes. Okay, so speed, load speed. And then the next would be, I think it's like, it feels like a no-brainer on my end, but I also have been in the industry for over a decade. So like take like if I'm saying that it seems like a no-brainer like don't be offended that you don't feel like it is it's just my I've been in this for far too long but like not having CTAs on the website or having enough of them they'll have like one and then call it a day and I'm like no you have to treat these people like they're five even three-year-olds like something somewhere in between that age where they don't know they know what you want them to do but you need to show them how to do it okay so for the lawyers who haven't recently updated their website and might not know what a cta is it's a call to action and it just is like you're telling them what to do and there's an old old seth godin book where he talked about every how you basically have to treat them your visitors like they're a monkey and you have to leave a a banana on every page for your monkey visitors (laughs) and so think of it in in those super super basic terms like where's the banana if the monkey doesn't have a banana the monkey is going to get distracted and jump away you know and that is what happens and also maybe they don't want that first banana. So maybe you also need like a smaller little different banana over to the one side. So maybe they don't want to pick up the phone right now. Maybe they want an email or maybe they want some other secondary thing. So you should definitely have your main clear call to action, but then also a secondary, you know, smaller, more subtle call to action. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a big thing that a lot of people don't, they don't do. Like sometimes we'll sit there. I remember we were, or we're still working with them, but when we first started working with an orthodontist, he was like, but like, he's like, just rip my site apart. And I was like, gladly, I will definitely do that. And I remember I just recorded myself on Loom and I just went at it. And I was like, this would be a good place for a CTA. Why is there not one here? Why is there this dumb picture? Like, I, and I remember him just sitting there. He's like, I love how candid you are but he's like I don't know if I should be offended and I'm like it comes from love I'm like I just don't have a filter I just don't know how to like especially if somebody's not in front of me I just assume that I'm the only person who's going to hear it so then I just talk in the way that I'm going to talk and then suddenly I find out that it like I realize that it's for a client and I'm like okay so 
please don't get mad. Like, I swear I didn't say it to be mean. It's just, this is how I am. But there is a big difference between criticism and constructive criticism. And the reason, if you are providing constructive criticism with purpose, you know, what is this dumb picture of a skyline? Are you selling buildings? I don't think so. You know, why do most law firms have pictures of skylines unless you're doing commercial real estate law and you, you know, are selling buildings, literally, or helping your clients sell buildings, that doesn't mean anything to your potential clients. Like, why are you doing that? And the answer is usually because it's the path of least resistance, and I couldn't think of anything else. So let's do a little better than that. Yeah. And honestly, I think hiring a photographer for, you know, like an hour isn't going to cost a ton of money. It might be about, what, 500, maybe less. And you can get some really great shots of literally you working. And that is going to perform so much better because then when people see your face, they're going to be like, that's the person I'm working with, not the stock photo of and then being like, OK, what does this person even look like? Do they actually do their job? Like a bunch of random stuff. So if you go on my site, like my face is basically plastered everywhere where I'm like, yeah, you might not be working directly with me, but like it's me. Like you need to understand that there's people behind all of this. It's not just a random agency that just exists for the sake of existing. And you're the face of the company. You're the one that people are doing that no like trust thing. Like they are getting to know you. They're getting to feel like they they like you. And then and then they will trust you. And the things that you're talking about will resonate at a different level than if it is a generic stock photo of some like you know middle aged white guy. <laughs> you know, like what? <laughs> And that's always the case. And I feel like law firms are probably the most notorious for it as well. Cause like every time we've worked like anybody legal, like that's, it's just stock photos. And then the one group photo that they have together. And I'm just like, you would think that after like- Let's do a little bit. Yeah, and I've been worried, like I've been in and out of legal for, I don't want to say like 10 years now. And I'm like, you would think that it would have gotten better by now. And it just no. hasn't. No, no, it hasn't. It's once again, the path of least resistance, but also this, there's a comfort and a feeling of safety in doing all of those really boring, staid ideas that everybody else, like they look around at what their competition and what the guy down the street is doing. And I know we've kind of devolved into the idea of kind of those design choices, but there is a point when we're in that design phase of the of a project where I feel like there is a an hourglass like where the sand is going through and I have to quickly get them to make decisions before they do the typical thing of like so I called my wife and you know I looked at what my friend down the street is doing and I'm just gonna go with what everybody else is doing and so if I can get them to make a decision before they do that it's always turns out better like it's it's always different and, and better. And that's the case with so many of these ideas that we're talking about, whether it's, you know, putting together a campaign that's different from, you know, trying to be different from all these, you know, your competition and just any of these marketing decisions, trying to not do the same thing everybody else is doing. Yeah. And that's the big thing. I don't you're not going to stand out if you're literally looking like everybody else. Like the the logic of it doesn't really follow through. So we say that our clothing choices and how we do our makeup and all of this other random stuff or even the cars that we drive, we want to be different. But then like when we look at our businesses, we're like, okay, that cookie fits. So let's just, you know, like I'm just going to do cookie cutter stuff. Like I'm just, it worked for them. It could work for me. And I'm like, no, that logic doesn't. It doesn't work out. No, it doesn't. Especially with ads. Mm -hmm. The whole point of ads is to, you know, they're going to see a bunch of them. 
And so how do we not do the same thing as all of the, oh gosh, it just seems so obvious to me and obviously you as well, but okay. So I feel like we've kind of beat that horse to death a little yeah. bit. <laughs> so let's, it's time for the book review. Let's let's talk about the book that you're uh, going to recommend that our audience pick up and read today. Yeah, my, uh, it's technically not a book. It's a short story. It's called What We Talk About When We Talk About Love by Raymond Carver. Literally, I think we I think it was like part of one of three stories that we got to choose in like an English class when I was in university. And for whatever reason, I was just drawn to him. Like the, if you look at a picture of him, you can just like see like just like such torment behind the eyes. And I'm always drawn to people who like actually have a story. And he had quite the story too. So it was just kind of really interesting just to, to learn about him as a human being. But the story in itself is two couples just sitting around talking about past relationships and love and it starts you know sometime in the I believe it was in the summer so it's naturally super dry and the light is out and as you continue going on in the story it continually just gets darker and darker and darker light wise like daylight wise and then also the story so when you're reading it I think a lot of people or at least the people that I've spoken to about it notice the gradual um, take to, to the darkness in terms of the stories and they were like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, because that's how conversations tend to go. You open up a bit more and more and more. But I was like, did you notice that, like, the light in the back went from, like, full on sun to, like, straight up darkness? Like, those random little things is what I love picking up. And I think that's why I love PPC, too, is just tiny little things that you find. Um, the little details. Yeah. So I think that's why my brain is just, like, absolutely love with it, because I was like, it, it's it's so perfect. The way that he wrote it was just um, that sounds awesome. It was really yeah, something that stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, short stories are not necessarily the first place I go with fiction. I don't know why it is, but some for some reason, it's just not the thing that I, I tend to kind of lean towards. But when I find a great one, I feel like it's sometimes harder for the author to keep it so succinct and get a really great short story and you know keep it short so that sounds awesome we'll definitely add that to the library and link to the book and everything on the show page so i mean tell us what one thing is that you know that works when done correctly google ads <laughs> nice <laughs> Nice. I like the starting out with the disclaimer. (laughs) I was like, should I just jump into it? But I'm like, honestly, sometimes people do it incorrectly and then it doesn't work. So you kind of have to go in with that. But it's a great, like, honestly, I I love the platform. It's the most stable out of every platform that's out there right now, especially with all the privacy changes. They're the ones who are kind of leading the way with quite a bit of it. And I think there's a really great opportunity for them to just create their own little ecosystem and really own the entire, like, like they already own 85% of the, the market share. I think that they could probably just wipe everybody else out. So if they continue doing what I think they're doing, it's going to be a platform that everybody's going to want to be on and is going to see great success with as well. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny now that you're saying it that way that we didn't even for a moment talk about any other search engine. We ta- talked about social media and that kind of, but that's a that's a different ball of wax. Um, but we were we didn't spend any time on... Bing or <laughs> anywhere else because it's not really worth the time, right? I mean, have, do you have ever have clients that are that ask you about other platforms? No, maybe like LinkedIn, and that's kind of the end of it. And LinkedIn is like a not the like it's a great platform but it's also not a place where people are making purchasing decisions so I think a lot of people have like this whole notion of like well all these business professionals are there and yeah 
they are but again i feel like with linkedin it's almost like a facebook play where you're you're introducing yourself and then they're going to come back and search for you and i do know that there's going to be marketers who completely disagree with me on that front and say that linkedin is a great place to generate leads i just haven't been able to do it successfully so that's my caveat where I'm like, I just don't, I don't understand the platform well enough to be able to generate them. So that's why I think of it in that way. I think that's yeah. a really healthy way to think of it uh, where, okay, you're not necessarily going to make the sale on LinkedIn, you're, but you're going to make a connection. You're going to make, you know, a memory in the brain and you're going to have that brand play like you're saying, but the actual search and when they're going to make that purchasing decision, that's going to happen over at Google when they're like actively seeking the answer to that question or problem. Yeah, and I think the great thing with Google is that we're able to use remarketing lists within our, even our search ads too. So like if somebody came to my site through LinkedIn off of an ad, now they're suddenly on a remarketing list. So I can actually hyper-target them in a way um, and speak to them directly versus going with a general message where somebody on Google simply was just on Google and they were never aware of us. The messaging is completely different. And I think a lot of people don't really utilize the remarketing list on, on the search side of things as well. So it's like... No, absolutely, because it's complicated. Yeah. I feel like, you know, when it comes to that, you really need somebody to help you with that. <laughs> I mean, especially if you're a lawyer. Like, just go do your lawyer stuff and then hire somebody to do it right. Well, that's exactly it, and especially with lawyers. Like, I wouldn't try to go fight a lawsuit on my own. So the same right. logic is here. Like, they're the experts in their field. I would like to believe that we are the experts in our field. And if, if it's affordable, then I say run to an agency and literally just have them work on that for you because like that's going to be the biggest game changer if you're unable to start with a very small budget first and then gradually increase because like it's gonna there's a high chance you're gonna waste a ton of money exactly yeah and i mean affordable is all relative because you know affordable if you are hiring an agency and they're doing something that's working means something different than affordable. Well, I'm just going to throw some money at something and see if I can, you know, get it to work. Like, I think, you know, that's all sort of a slippery slope between how, how you're going to define how you're spending your money. Exactly. I mean, you can spend $1,000 on an agency or you can spend two grand and get no leads. Yes. Yeah. Which do you want? Right. Like, I would rather spend the agency money. And where, which one is affordable? Yeah, <laughs> yes. exactly. Yeah, I love it. Awesome. That was so, so useful and helpful. I feel like there was just a million helpful tips there. And Amit Cabra is the founder of Hopskip Media. And we will link to her social media, her website, all of her resources, as well as the book that she recommended on the show notes, and as well as throughout our, all of our social media posts and all that good stuff. But thank you so much for being here. That was such an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I literally don't think I've had this much fun on a, a podcast in a little while. So this was great. I loved oh, awesome. it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.